everyone. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And happy Halloween. Happy fucking Halloween. Or should I say Halloween weekend? Because we're not quite there yet. Not quite there, but honestly, it's my favorite time of the year. I'm looking outside right now to a, a group of kids doing trunk or treat, and it's the cutest thing ever. Oh, how freaking cute. <clears throat> yeah, they're adorable. I'd also like to say before we start, happy wedding day to Amanda. <coughs> oh, happy wedding day. <laughs> right now, I'm probably on my way to the venue with her, <laughs> but I want her to have the most magical day, which I know she will, and she's having the coolest wedding. It's all Halloween themed. Oh my god, I know. I, I've been seeing all the pictures and stuff of things that she's been getting together, and it just seems like it's going to be the best wedding. Yeah, so, so congratulations, Amanda and Doug. Yes, so excited for them, and yeah. I know they're going to have the best day ever. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Aw, congrats, guys. <laughs> so do you have any recommendations before we get into our coffee review? Well, I quickly wanted to just shout out our merch release that just Woo! happened. So everybody go check it out. We have an Instagram shop that you can buy all of our new merch. We have beanies, crewnecks, sweatpants. So check it out and look at our old stuff that we have as well. Yes. And shout out to Pear in Hand for embroidering all of that for us. They literally did custom orders for us and it is so professional and well done. So thank you guys so much. Yes. And speaking of shout outs, I wanted to give one more quick little shout out before we gave any recommendations or got into our coffee review, because if you haven't noticed already, listeners, our giveaway is up and running. Yes. And it ends Monday on Halloween. I wanted to shout out all the businesses that participated. Awesome. So we have Cars Coffee, who does the collaboration coffee with us. We have homemade dog treats from six o'clock rush we have a handmade sarah marina collection cosmetic bag a handmade hearth broom from river and rope custom pieces from made by mama a black magic candle bath bomb and crystals from thrive embodied arts and a mr bones coffee shop candle pumpkin cheesecake body butter season of the witch linen spray and october sky body cream from whiskey moon if that doesn't scream halloween giveaway i don't know what does. <laughs> i know i want this giveaway same i'm really pissed that i can't get it because literally everything in it is what i want uh-huh every single thing yeah i if we weren't the ones doing this giveaway i would be entering this thing time and time again same and really quickly again wanted to mention about our merch i've now worn it three days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> amazing well for coming home from work i should say like i change yeah like three days in a row and it's literally the softest stuff ever i just wanted to quickly give our sizes in case you were wondering i wear a small in the the pants and a medium in the crew neck and it fits perfectly it's like a little bit oversized because it is unisex so just remember that it's going to be a little bit bigger mm -hmm. and make sure even <laughs> if you don't feel like participating in this giveaway for god knows why <laughs> make sure you check out these businesses their handles are provided in the giveaway they make the most amazing things outside of what they have given us for our giveaway yeah. So please, please, please check them out. Give them a follow. Like their stuff. 
honestly all small businesses I've bought so many things from like each of the little th- each of the little businesses that I've been included in the giveaway and I can attest to the- them being amazing same agreed yeah so you want to get into our coffee review yes let's do it so today's coffee was gifted to us by Ashley right Yes, thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. You are the best. You always think of us when it comes to coffee, and we're so appreciative. Yeah, she actually got this from a really cool witch shop that she went to that had a bunch of different things outside of coffee, obviously. But while she was there, she picked up two different bags from us. So we will be reviewing another one at a later date. Amazing. So the coffee that we're reviewing today is from the Cracked Kettle. And it is called Witchcraft. Of course it is, because it's Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Yeah. So they have a really cute little blurb on their bag that I want to read. It says, I love the smell of coffee and witchcraft in the morning. (laughs) And who wouldn't when it is this good? Nothing beats a medium nutty roast topped off with macadamia. I couldn't agree more. Uh Uh-huh. Nice and nutty. Witchy. What isn't there to love? I honestly immediately taste the macadamia nut, and I love it. Same. I completely agree. The beginning and the end of the coffee tastes like macadamia nut. It goes well with a hazelnut creamer. Of course it does. Everything (laughs) does. (laughs) So I I agree. I taste the macadamia in the beginning and at the end, and I think that the coffee does have a boldness to it, which is nice. Right. It's not it's not bland. I think this is like a darker medium roast, if you ask me. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it says medium roast, but I agree. If it had to be on the lighter or darker side, it's probably more towards the darker side. Yeah, it's like very full bodied. It's smooth. I It's really nutty is what I like about it. Mm-hmm. What would you rate this? Oh, I would probably give it a seven. I concur. Of course, because we're the same (laughs) taste buds. (laughs) Yeah, and as we said that, we hit seven minutes. Amazing. Oh, my God, that's so funny. And I think Indy was just barking in the background, so apologies to anyone that heard her because it was underneath my talking, so I'm not going to be able to edit it out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Indy just had to say hey. Yeah, she wanted to pop in. That girl loves Halloween. She does. She's like her favorite time of the year, she told me. (laughs) So do you have anything else you want to talk about or should we get into it? I don't have any new recommendations or anything, so I'm good if you're good. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so grab your coffee and have a morning with us. All right, so today's cases, well, cases, I should say, we decided to do another Haunted Places episode because we love it and I think you guys love it. As we've said before, Me and Bryn chose two cases that we do not know of each other's. So we'll kind of go back and forth talking about our own cases. Yeah. And it's spooky season. So enjoy. Yeah. So I'm going to start off today with the Morris Jumel Mansion. Have you heard of this? No, never heard of this. Okay. So it's located on 1765 Jumel Terrace in New York. And it's located at the highest point of Manhattan called Washington Heights, but it was originally known as Harlem Heights. Okay, I know where Washington Heights is. I've just never heard of this place. Okay, it's super old. It's really cool. So I'm going to get into the background, and I think this one's a little bit background heavy, but you need to know why all of these things happened before you hear about the haunted part. 
You know I love a good backstory. <laughs> and it's history, so you're going to love it. Yeah. Okay. So, in present day, though, this house is currently used as a museum, so you can go there. The rooms represent different styles of the house's historic period, like the Georgian, Federalist, French Empire, and Victorian styles. Wow, that must be beautiful. I know. The pictures are insane of inside this place. The furniture of the house was donated by Madame Jumel's descendants. So some were actually from Napoleon himself as a gift to her husband. And some were from a French merchant named Stephen Jamal. The mansion began when Tory Lieutenant Colonel Roger Morris, that was a mouthful, mm. bought a 100 property in Harlem Heights in 1765. So this was a huge piece of land that he bought. He built his family a summer home here after retiring from the British Army in 1764. The summer home was completed in 1768, and it was then called Mount Morris. So this is where him and his family, like this was their dream summer home. It took so long because they wanted to make it perfect. But unfortunately, in 1776, which was only eight years later, the Revolutionary War broke out. Oh, no. Yeah, so they didn't get to use their mansion for very long. He and his family moved out, and his good friend at the time, George Washington, moved his continental headquarters into Mount Morris. And that was in September of 1776. So George Washington lived here for a while. Wow. Yeah. After Washington moved on from the mansion, the British then moved in. So he, you know, eventually moved on during the war, and then the British moved in. So, during the Battle of Fort Washington, Continental prisoners were kept in the barn at this Mount Morris house. Right off the bat, you can already tell, like, all of these most likely horrible things that happened on the grounds. Yeah. After the war, the mansion was owned by a bunch of different owners. But in 1810, it was bought by Stephen and Eliza Jamel to renovate. Stephen at some point had passed away, and then Eliza then married Aaron Burr. Wait a second. You mentioned Aaron Burr? Yes. In another episode. I did. It was The Last Haunted Places, and it's so fucking weird because this one and another one that I was looking into to research to, for today's episode involved Aaron Burr. What the hell? I'm like, why? I guess he was a popular people? figure during that time in New York City, but why was he involved in every haunted place? I don't know. But Eliza married him. I had mentioned Stephen already had passed away. But then when Eliza died, eventually, the control over the state was debated in court for like 17 years. So they were trying to figure out who was going to take over the estate. Wow, that's a long fucking process. Yeah. Again, it did go through many more owners until it was one day turned into the Morris Jumel Mansion Museum. And then was listed in the National Register of Historic Places in 1966. As of 2020, the museum houses stories. So in the house, there's like a bunch of different plaques and stuff. And it's all little stories about the things that I'm going to mention here. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Black Americans who had ties to the Morris Jumel Mansion. Experiences of enslaved people that worked for the Morris family. Aww. 
William Lee, who was George Washington's enslaved ballet, a freed woman named Anne Northup, who worked as Eliza Jumel's cook, and Solomon's story that was retold in 12 Years a Slave. So many things happened in this house over so many years, just naturally, but add on all the horrible things, slavery and and just the prisoners and and the war. Brutality. Yeah, it's just this place has gone through a lot of, of different horrible things. Yeah, I'm glad they at least have plaques to honor the stories of these people. Yeah. On to some haunted stories now that you know the background of the house. These are all little quotes that I had taken directly from the website hauntedhouses.com. So everything I'm about to say is directly from the website, and I'll tell you when I finish that. But I thought that there was no other way to reword these because they were just perfect little stories. Okay. This one is called Calming Unruly Kids. January 19th, 1964, a small group of school-aged kids had arrived early to see the tour of the mansion. As they waited to be let in, they became restless. Then they saw on the balcony above them a lady in a flimsy purple gown who told them, shush, in an effort to quiet them down. Then she went right through the closet doors of the room behind the balcony. When the curator, Mrs. C, arrived to let them in, they asked her why the lady on the balcony didn't open up the building. There wasn't any lady on the balcony, and they all realized it was a ghost that that they had seen. Mrs. C realized that then the mansion had been haunted. The lady was seen on the balcony was believed to have been Madame Jumel herself, as she fit the description. Wow. Yeah. And allegedly, when the kids got inside, they saw a painting of Eliza on the wall, and they were like, ah, that's her. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) They were like, what the hell? That lady was just yelling at us. I love that she shushed them. I love that so much. She's like, shut up. So (laughs) the next story is called Ex-Husbands Unite. Visitors had felt the presence of Madame Jumel's angry first husband, Stephen, and her second husband, Aaron Burr, the one-term vice president of the United States, who was slandered by Alexander Hamilton, which we all know. Oh, I guess he was a popular figure if he was uh, (laughs) vice president. (laughs) I'm really bad with presidents. Same. (laughs) (laughs) So as we know, Alexander Hamilton ended up killing him in a duel later on. Stephen was stuck in this house because he was still angry and couldn't rest because of the actions of his murderous wife, Madame Eliza Jumel. Aaron Burr had the sense to realize what kind of woman he was married to and divorced her before she could kill him too. He still likes his home, however, and perhaps he was just trying to comfort Stephen. So basically, this is just saying that the energy in the house, and this was talked about by mediums as well, It was alleged that Eliza had killed her husband, Stephen, and he he basically couldn't rest. He, He stayed in the house. This next story is called A Rash Choice. The apparition of a young servant girl in great distress has been seen on the top floor where the servants' quarters were located. She had jumped out the window to her death after becoming romantically involved with one of the members of the family. That makes me sick. Yeah. That's so sad. Literally horrible. I just, I have the chills thinking about it. 
That makes me so sad that she's still so distressed if that's the case. I know, like, she can't move on. Yeah, hopefully this is just a residual energy thing where it lingers there and it's not actually her spirit. Yeah. This one's called Still on Duty. An enthusiastic, history-loving children's teacher who had bounded up the stairs to the top floor, eager to see the mansion from top to bottom, he fainted in fright. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. He <laughs> fainted in fright when confronted by a ghost of a revolutionary soldier who had stepped out of a painting. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, that is actually terrifying. He just like passed out. <laughs> I'm picturing like Night at the Museum yeah. type situation. Yeah. Apparently still providing security for Washington. This soldier was seen on another occasion by another teacher as well. How creepy. That's creepy, but at the same time, I would love to experience that. Right? You think he was nice? Yeah, he's just doing his job, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's not like he took a musket and (laughs) went after the guy. (laughs) He's like, why are you dressed so funny? (laughs) Okay, this next story is called Fear Can Kill Here. Another teacher with a heart condition had a fatal heart attack after seeing an apparition. Hans Holzer advises that ghosts don't hurt people. Hans Holzer, by the way, is the guy that was telling the story. And people shouldn't be afraid of them because they are just beings in trouble with themselves, which I agree with. So a couple other stories. So that's the end of like the everything I got from that website. So I'm going to move on to just some other things that I had found. Today, there are at least five known spirits residing in the mansion, and they are Eliza Jumel, an unknown presence, maybe one of the many former owners, so they're not really sure, but there's one that specifically sticks around. A servant girl. This girl was the one that was suffering from the betrayal and broken heart. Eliza Jumel's servant, and then a bunch of soldiers. Stephen Jamel is finally said to be resting in peace and no longer lives in the mansion. Thank God. This was pretty recent. So two seances were conducted by Hans Holler and medium Ethel Myers. Jamel was able to vent his anger during the seances about his wife's murder to him. I cannot imagine what that seance looked like. I, like, somewhat can, but somewhat can't. Sounds terrifying. He was probably really fucking pissed. Yeah, and having that come through, like, maybe even the medium, like, that is terrifying. Yeah. He said she pulled off his bandages after he was recovering from a pitchfork accident, which then caused him to bleed to death. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, weird story. Something happened with him like falling on a pitchfork in the basement and it was like a weird thing but then apparently he said that she pulled her band his bandages off and that's how he died but did he fall on a pitchfork right i don't know and like how crazy is it that this came through during the seance years wow what if she actually stabbed him with a pitchfork right i know and that's why he's so angry wow after he expressed his anger he was said to move on to the other side Several years ago, the museum hosted a Yinka Schoenberg exhibition that included a headless figure that was said to evoke Liza Jumel's spirit. What the fuck? 
I don't know why it's in there. I don't know why they want to evoke her spirit, but let her be. Yeah, especially if she was not a good human. Right? And then lastly, some of the staff admit to hearing some disembodied voices and they see some shadow figures. So, I mean, it's still haunted to this day, but why the fuck the statue has to be put in there, I don't understand. Yeah, and a headless statue? That's really creepy. Yeah. So haunted tours occur there today and you can pay for a tour online and go see this place. So we'll add that to our New York list. Yeah, right. We have like a whole haunted place thing to, in New York. Just We in- can we can do our own walking tour. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be the host. We'll be like, okay, now you come to this place and this is the history. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the hostess with the mostest, babe. Yeah. In our spare time. <laughs> yeah. In all our free time. You know. In between editing, working two full-time jobs, and <laughs> just living life. <laughs> I mean, we have tons of it. I think we'll be fine. We could do it. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. That was really good, Kels. Thank you. The first haunted place that I'm going to be discussing is called The Liars Club. Ooh. Sounds like Hellfire Club. Oh, it does. I wonder if Dusty will be there. Dusty. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out Stranger Things. I have not heard of this one. Okay, so a little bit of background about the Liars Club. It's located at 1665 West Fullerton Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Stop it, you fucking psycho. What? My second one's in Chicago, Illinois. No, it's not. (laughs) Yes. This happens every time. (laughs) And it's really weird because there's a couple things in, I believe, my second one that kind of parallel your first one. All right. What the hell? We're back. (laughs) So the Liars Club has been in business as the club since 1995. It's currently a two-story nightclub slash bar. It's filled with kiss memorabilia and funky decor. What? It has a quote-unquote gothic interior. It's painted black and lit red. What? We have to go here. Yeah, this is like my dream bar. I'm not even kidding. I'm going to look at it right now. On the exterior of it, it's 50s-style yellow brick and glass block. It has a metal door and a sign made to look like rusted steel with the name on it. It is so fucking cool looking. I had also read online that on one of the floors, it has, like, leopard print furnishing and distressed leather, and it's just super cool sounding. (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. Wednesdays, they have a KISS karaoke contest, and when I say KISS, I'm referring to the band KISS. (laughs) You dress up like your favorite band member and sing your favorite song. Oh my god. And they even have a makeup artist there to help with makeup what to do like patrons makeup when they come in yeah to dress up as kiss members because as we all know kiss makeup can be really intricate wow so they literally have makeup artists to help you with your makeup could you imagine coming home from that bar at night oh my god i fucking love it <laughs> and like <laughs> you walk in and like you live with your parents and you're like hey mom and dad <laughs> <laughs> So this is described by the Liars Club as a quote-unquote blood-spitting, fire-breathing good time. Oh my god, I have to go. 
It's also described as, quote, a great place for punk rockers and metalheads, yet inviting to anyone who wants to enjoy that perfect combination of music, mingling, and booze. And that was a quote from panicked.com. It literally sounds like the most incredible bar. Yeah, and not to mention, it has to be haunted or else you wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah, so there we go. It has been known for its hauntings and history for a while now. So moving on to some murders that happened in the club, because yes, murders also did happen there. Separate murders happened in it and or surrounding it before it was known as the Liars Club. In 1955, a man who lived in the building was shot in a fight, and this was outside of a nearby bar, so the shooting didn't actually happen in the club, but he lived in the building at the time. Hmm. And luckily, he survived. Wow. In 1958, apparently there was an axe murder here during this year. Oh, my God. Chicago Hauntings stated in 2021 that they have been unable to find a backstory yet to substantiate this. And the only thing that I found in my research was in an article that it potentially had to do with the murder of an abusive husband. Oh. In which case... (laughs) If he was an abusive husband, good riddance. <laughs> Although I wish he didn't get like, oh. murdered by an axe. Right. Going to jail probably would have been sufficient, but... Axe, I don't know. But I was like, well, uh, you know. In 1968, during this year, there was a homeless shelter operating upstairs in the building. Wow. So again, this was before it was a club and or bar. A man named John Parlia, was, who was about 70 years old... And another man named Samuel Castell Jr., who is 27 years old, were living there at the time. They got into a fight over used pants and whose pants they were. Castell ended up beating Parlia to death with a glass Coca-Cola soda bottle. Holy shit. And Parlia was then pushed out of a second floor window and died at Alexian Brothers Hospital. Oh my god. That's horrifying. Oh, I can't even imagine that scene. A fucking Coke bottle is what he used. That's terrifying. Yeah, like an old-fashioned glass Coke bottle. April 1986, the Chicago Tribune had reported that this murder occurred in a bedroom on the third floor of the building. Frank Hansen, who also went by Ken, owned the bar with his wife, Julia. Frank was 29 and Julia was 24. Frank was described as a small-statured man. And allegedly, he dealt with many years of verbal abuse from his wife about his size. Which is really sad if that was true. That is really sad. That's fucked up. Yeah. We love you, short kings. (laughs) We love all shapes and sizes. One day, Frank murdered Julia with an axe after she had pushed him down and choked him. Jesus. The two had been in a fight over money, and it was said that Frank had confessed to police that he hit her with the axe in the head, chest, and back. Wow. All of this information was allegedly relayed to the police in Frank's confession. So another axe murder. Jesus. Within this place. Julia was pregnant at the time of her murder. Ugh. Which is fucking awful. And her body was in the apartment for six days before Frank called the police. Oh my god. In 1988, Frank was convicted of murder And during his trial, he claimed that the confession was coerced by the police. So 
I hope that's not true because we know, especially in past cases, that coercion does and did happen. Right. But the fact that he was in there for six days with her before calling the police makes me think that him actually committing the act. Right. And, like, why the fuck do you wait six days unless you're guilty? Right. In an article from 2009, the author stated that within that last year, a man almost died in the upstairs room of the bar, and his throat had been cut in a bar fight. Oh my god. Yeah, so literally within 2008-2009, that happened. Jesus. Obviously, there was a lot of negativity in this building, and probably residual energy, if anything, from... All the horrific things that happened there. Right. Even if people didn't die, like, whew. Yeah. So moving on to some hauntings that happened in the Liars Club. Julia Hansen, who, again, was the woman who was murdered with an axe by her husband. Her ghost had been seen in the bar. Oh, my God. A man's ghost has been seen going up and down the stairs. This is potentially believed to be John Parlea who, again, was the man who was hit with the Coca-Cola bottle and pushed out the window. Speaking of John Parlia, the corner of the room in which he was beaten to death is also apparently full of negative energy. I would say so. Yeah. It's just so sad to me that these horrific things happen and they keep these spirits there. Like, who knows how long these spirits have been, like, stuck there, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like, too... Any kind of horrific death, whether it's the spirit that lingers there or not, there's some form of energy that gets tied into that spot. Right. I mean, we've seen this with other cases where horrific things happen over and over and over again in the same place. And those are the places that have entities attached to them or really negative things or just hauntings in general attached to them. Owner Herb Rosen discussed some of his experiences at the bar. This is a quote from Herb. Quote, I was in the basement doing some kind of paperwork or something in the office, and for no reason whatsoever, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I got so scared and filled with dread that I jumped up from the desk, ran upstairs, and ran out onto the street and did not come back until the nighttime. What the? This was in the middle of the day, no real reason. That's never happened to me before, so that's kind of strange. Kind of strange, Herb, that is terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. So, Herb has had these experiences, but in some articles I read that he still doesn't really fully believe in it, but he's like, oh, these weird things have happened to me. I would like more validating things to happen, but at the same time, I don't. Like, that's his perspective. Shun the (laughs) non-believers. I'm just kidding. Herb, we love you. Herb. (laughs) Herb. (laughs) So, another story from Herb. Quote, our friend Candy came in and was sitting at the end of the bar. My buddy Cookie was setting up, and Wes was in the DJ booth in the corner. And she saw a woman behind Wes in the DJ booth. But she knew it wasn't a real person. And supposedly, that's Julia from upstairs. And then the same woman supposedly in the bathroom. Another friend of ours opened the bathroom door on the second floor to go in, and there was a woman in there crying. 
She's like, oh, sorry. Shut the door. Waited, 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 waited. Nothing. 15 minutes later, opens. There's nobody in there. And there's not a window you could go out of, even if you were willing to jump up there. So that one was pretty wild. What the hell? Ew, could you imagine being like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, and then you're like waiting for them to come out and the person's just gone. And you're like, what is this person doing in here? Just kidding, it's a ghost. (laughs) So those were both quotes from CBS News. Well, Coming from Herb. In the same bathroom that was just described, a woman got her hair pulled while she was alone. Nope. And while downstairs in the bar, a bar back was grabbed by his elbow. Again, no one was around him whatsoever. There's a swing door to go behind the bar that opens and closes on its own. And some have said to pick up on the residual energy and emotions left behind in this space. One woman on a tour had to leave the room where Parlia was murdered after feeling like she had been quote-unquote possessed by some kind of negative energy. Nope, I'd be out. No way. I don't like that at all. Me either. Many people have talked about experiences they've had in the upstairs of the bar because, again, the bar does have two floors to it. And investigators even captured an image in a mirror. Of what? Yeah. (laughs) And that is the Liars Club. Wait, what's the image in the mirror? I don't know. They didn't describe it. God damn it. Just an image. Probably the outline of a person, I'm assuming. See, I want to go for the kiss aesthetic, but I'm scared of getting my hair pulled. I feel like a lot of it happened in the upstairs room where Parlia died. So So maybe we just just stay in the downstairs section of the bar. (laughs) I was just going to say, so maybe we just, like, don't go up there. (laughs) That was awesome. I'm excited to see pictures of it. Yeah, oh my god, it's so cool looking. Wow. Well, to go off of your Chicago, Illinois thing you have going here. Okay. We can hop on down to the Iroquois Oriental Theater. I wonder the distance between these two. Can you imagine they're like across the street. <laughs> yeah, it's like a 10 minute walk like our last one in New York. That was bullshit. I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so the name was the Iroquois Theater. Now it's the Oriental Theater. And it's located 24 to 28 West Randolph Street in Chicago, Illinois. So a little background. The Iroquois Theater in Chicago was completed November of 1903 the brand new theater was advertised as being 100% fireproof how the fuck is that possible (laughs) a how is it possible and b why be like it's 100% it will never happen I guarantee you a fire happens in this story yeah well you're right does it yes yeah (laughs) wow said a fire department captain toward the building and said there was no fire extinguishers sprinklers alarms telephones or any water connections yeah because they were that sure that the building wouldn't catch fire right they were like it's fireproof we're good what the fuck yeah he told this guy that like toured the building the fire department captain told the fire warden and his commanding officer And they said, quote, nothing can be done. About putting, like, extinguishers and sprinklers in the building? Yeah, like, what do you mean nothing can be done? 
Oh my God, that is horrendous. Yeah. So when I say theater, picture like a big, where you see like musicals, plays, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So December 30th, the theater was past its max capacity of 1,600 people, and there was actually 2,000 people in attendance. Oh, God. Apparently, there were people, like, stacked in the aisleways and all over the place, like, just crammed in there. They were watching the musical Mr. Bluebeard. So that's what was playing on this night on December 30th. During the second act, the curtain caught on fire by an arc light shorting out. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. So the fire was not able to be stopped by the stage hands and everything. So the fire went from the curtain to all of the painted scenery on stage. <gasps> and then somebody opened up like a huge door in the building. Oh, God, letting in oxygen. Yeah. So it obviously made it so much worse. And it basically made like a fireball <gasps> at went out and towards the audience i could picture this whole thing and that is so sickening and terrifying and what fucking idiots to say this building is fireproof like who was it gonna kill to put in fucking sprinklers is what i want to know oh my god so unfortunately over 600 people died no mostly mothers and school children Oh my god, I, oh my gosh, this is so, so sad. This little mistake happened in this huge fucking horrific scene that happened after that. It was so hard for people to escape because there were hidden fire exits. What's the point of having a fucking fire exit if it's hidden? Right. Why'd they even bother putting it in this fireproof building if they were gonna hide them? Right. Like they oh were my god, I am hidden. fuming. There were also unfamiliar locks that they couldn't, like, figure out how to get out. There were false doors, locked gates, and doors that opened inward. So it was basically causing a traffic jam, like, because there was people pushing from behind. Who created this building? It's literally a fire trap. I don't get how they could market it as being fireproof when it's like the most prone to fires. And what's with the false doors? I don't know. It's the craziest shit I've ever heard. Was this like an H.H. Holmes creation? That's what it sounds like. This is so disturbing. Yeah, it's horrible. So a lot of people actually jumped or fell from fire escapes that were not even fucking finished yet. Oh my gosh. They were just like, we're just going to open up this place and um, it'll be fine. And this was like one of the early nights of this being opened. When firemen arrived to the scene, the fire had basically torched everything in its path, and it was really not hard at that point to put the fire out because there was not much left. Oh, my. It was so difficult for them to enter the building because there were literally just bodies piled up against the doors. I'm sick to my stomach. Yeah. During the investigation, a cover-up by city officials and fire department was discovered. You don't fucking say. I wonder why. 
So it turns out that lots of people were indicted, including the mayor, fire officials, and the theater owners. What about the person who, what about the architect, the person, the people who built the building? Well, it was thought that basically all of these people, like the firemen, the mayor, accepted bribes for free tickets to overlook these code violations. Because free tickets to a show is equivalent to making sure that a building is protected in case of a fire and that people could efficiently escape a burning building. Like, I'm sorry, but you can't, you're the, if you're the freaking fire head or the mayor or whatever, you can't afford a fucking ticket to a musical, but you need to make sure that this building is unsafe for everybody to watch the musicals and plays in. That is such a sin. Yeah. So because of this event, actually, lots of public fire codes were changed in the United States after this. Well, thank the Lord, but it shouldn't have taken that for it to happen. How horrible. The building was repaired and opened a few times before being completely, like, redone and rebuilt. And it opened as the Oriental Theater in 1926. Today, the theater is known as the Ford Center for the Performing Arts Oriental Theater. So check it out if you're in Chicago, Illinois, at any point in time. This has to have a lot of shit going on around it. I know. And it's just like, it's just so sad. So I'm going to get into the haunted stories. From 2005 to 2009, the play Wicked was performed at the theater. And it was performed by Anna Gastier, who played Alphaba one of the famous witches. And she talked about her stories with the spirits. So these are all like her accounts. Wow. For working from that long in the theater doing Wicked. So the back alley of the theater is apparently where the bodies were stacked after the fire. And it was eventually named Death Alley. There are so many things on so many levels that they did wrong. With I know. this building and the people who lost their lives in it. I know. It was disrespectful to to the people that had died after all they had, the torture they literally just went through. You stack their bodies outside like they're like trash. Oh my gosh. I Oh my gosh, this makes me so angry. Yeah. Anna described Death Alley as very dismal and gloomy. She said it felt literally terrible to be there. Mm. Like, there wasn't a bunch of specific stories about it, but it was a bunch of people basically saying, you go back there and you feel the horrible energy of what happened. Yeah, it's not really, like, spiritual or ghost. You're picking up on the energy of it. Right. Yeah. Wow. So on December 30th, which is the anniversary of the fire... Anna said that at the end of Act 1, the scene is of her flying high on the stage with, like, fog and smoke surrounding her. I already have chills. I know. Oh, no. She said when she was up in the air, she noticed a lot of people in the wings standing in little groups. So if you remember back to what I said earlier, since it was so packed, there was a bunch of little of people like standing in groups all around that weren't in their seats. 
So she was like seeing this, these groups of people is what I, I got from that. After the show, she was walking down the hallway to her dressing room when she heard children crying. Oh, that's so sad. I know. I'm going to cry. Think about it. She then saw a woman with two children standing at the end of the hallway and they were dressed in winter period clothing. She said that the family was calm, but seemed very out of place, and the mom looked really, really sad. Anna nodded to the woman, and the woman nodded back. They turned the corner and disappeared. Wow. Like, I have tears thinking about that. Just what these people had to fucking go through. And now they're potentially stuck in this theater where this horrific thing happened to them. Mm-hmm. People have said they see apparitions as clear as day in the alley, too. So as clear as, like, you or me walking around, they would see, you know, certain apparitions. That was as much of the haunting stories that I found, but... If you go to, there's a website I'll put up on our Facebook page. It's actually a Facebook tribute page to all of the people that had passed away and all of their cemeteries and their graves and their their stones and everything. You can go check out on the Facebook page more stories about each specific person. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. But wow. That's of the Iroquois Oriental Theater. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Kels. That was, I've never heard of that. And clearly that was an important one to hear. I know. I feel like it was just such a point in history. Like, holy shit, like 600 people died because of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad at least fire codes were changed. Right. But those people should not have lost their lives. Yeah. That could have been completely avoided. Yeah. Oh my God. Crazy. So my last story that I'm going to be telling is about the Casa Monica Hotel. Have you heard of this? Familiar. Where is it? It is located on 95 Cordova Street in St. Augustine, Florida. I feel like I've heard this one before. Okay. So St. Augustine is known as the quote-unquote oldest city in the United States. It was founded in 1565, and there's actually a lot of turmoil surrounding the history of this city, as many Native American people were attacked, displaced, and murdered during the settling of this city. Oh my god. Which is absolutely horrifying and disgusting, and no wonder there's so much energy surrounding the city of St. Augustine. Right. Built in 1888 by architect Franklin W. Smith, he had purchased the land off of Henry Flagler, who was the co-founder of Standard Oil. Its doors were opened on New Year's Day in 1888, and after four months of it being opened, Flagler bought it back from Smith for $325,000 at that time. Wow, what time was this? 1888. What? Yeah, so he spent a lot of money. Right. Apparently, it was named the Casa Monica Hotel, but after Flagler took over, he changed it to the Cordova. Therefore, most articles say that it was originally called the Cordova. 
Over the years, names changed multiple times. It has been known as the Alcazar Annex and just the Alcazar as well. And in 1902, a bridge was built between the hotel and Alcazar, which was another hotel at the time, but it's now a museum. Basically, how they got the names Alcazar Annex and the Alcazar, once the two were connected by the bridge, Flagler had changed the name of the Cordoza to Alcazar Annex. And then one year later, the two hotels were combined into the Alcazar. Oh, that makes sense. In 1895, the hotel was destroyed by a fire and had to be rebuilt, and at least one person died in this fire. Wow. So again, another small correlation between our stories. What the hell? So Yeah, although, thank God, only one person lost their life in mine, even though one is way more than it should be. Yeah. In 1932, the hotel closed when the stock market crashed. And in 1945, the bridge between the hotels was torn down. Over the years, the hotel had also been used for other purposes. It had been used as a hospital, confederate barracks, and a casino. From the 1960s to late 1970s, the hotel was purchased and used as a courthouse. In the 1990s, a new owner named Richard C. Kessler bought the building for $1.2 million and changed it back into a hotel. December 1999, the hotel reopened as the Casa Monica. The King and Queen of Spain even visited the hotel shortly after it opened. Wow. Yeah. It's now part of the Historic Hotels of America Association. And the style of this hotel, just so you can get a visual, is described as Mediterranean Revival. Oh my gosh. Another another article describes it as Moorish Revival. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah. It has intricate balconies, gold-leafed archways, a red-tiled roof, Spanish tapestries, mahogany furniture, and iron four-poster beds. So it's very exquisite and extravagant looking and has this revival look to it. Wow, so cool. Cobblestone streets and cute shops, including cafes, surround its location. What? Yeah, and it's known as one of the most haunted places in Florida. Oh my god. I bet, because it's so old. Yeah. Anything that's old's got to be... Yeah, and it has horrific history around it, so... And deaths within it. Right. So moving on to the hauntings. Many spirits seem to be from the 1920s. And one of the most common sightings is of a man in 1920s-era clothing. Waltz music randomly plays... And ghosts in jazz-age clothing have been seen waltzing in the lobby... Ew, what the hell? I love that. I don't like that, seeing people waltz around to old music. Nope. I love that. The fourth floor is known to be the most haunted. And a guest woke up in room 411 and saw multiple figures just standing in his room. Oh my god. That, I think, is terrifying. Yeah, um, noted. We will not go to room 411. 
Yeah, you wake up and you just see a group of people just standing in the corner of your room. You're like, what is this man doing in my bed? (laughs) Many spirits are also seen and heard in the halls. Children are heard running up and down the halls, but aren't visibly there. Women are heard talking and laughing. And a little girl, Confederate soldier, and a woman who reportedly died in the fire have all been seen. Wow. And this, again, is, like, another similarity between our cases, or our stories, I should say, because I have a soldier in mine. I know, it's so weird. Yeah. The Confederate soldier is one of the more popular ghosts. He's seen a lot in Room 318. He's also been seen on the third floor in general. The woman who died in the hotel fire is said to be young, and is mostly seen in the lobby and on the stairs. And a woman named Virginia has also been seen wandering the halls. She was married to a man that worked in the hotel, and she was killed in a fire in the hotel. I kind of, with the the articles that I read, I was unsure if this was the same fire that destroyed the hotel and the same ghost mentioned above or if they were two separate spirits it wasn't really made clear Mm -hmm. if this was the same fire and same woman or not the young girl haunts the eighth floor of the hotel wow there's one suite that's home to a woman in white which is a common theme in these haunted episodes we've told so this woman in white has even appeared in photographs taken She apparently haunts the hotel's fourth floor. In the ballroom, people have seen a Spanish soldier as well, and allegedly he died in a duel. Oh my god, now he just dances for his afterlife. Yeah, or just hangs and watches the people waltzing. (laughs) (laughs) Footsteps can also be heard throughout the hotel, but no one's there. Some staff refuse to even clean certain rooms on their own, and some refuse to clean certain rooms at all. Yeah, that'd be me. I'd be like, okay, I'm only doing it if my coworker comes. <laughs> yeah. Room 511, it is believed that a man hung himself here, and there is paranormal activity in this room. Oh, no. The story surrounding him is that a guest checked into the hotel, but never came down the next day and never checked out. And it's really sad. He was found in the room by staff. Oh, my God. Yeah. Guests say that icy winds go through the room, and there's also cold spots, and footsteps can be heard in the room. And this is another room that's considered one of the most haunted, aside from 411. The Ponce de Leon suite is also in the hotel. They have a bunch of different suites within the hotel. Staff said that the radio randomly turns on by itself on the first floor of the suite. The woman in white mentioned above has also been seen in the Ponce de Leon suite, and one article said that this is the suite in which she was captured in the photo. Oh, she's like, this is the finest of the suites. I'll hang out here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Flagler Suite, which was clearly named after the owner of the hotel, is three stories. It's a three-story suite. Jesus. It's also known to be very haunted. 
There is a child's handprint that appears on the first floor bathroom mirror of this suite. Ew. Yeah, and people that have worked there have seen it. Mm, I don't like that. <laughs> Another story regarding this suite. A housekeeper knocked on the door, checking if she could clean the room. A voice on the other side said, quote, We've been expecting you. She opened the door, and there was no one in there. Ew, ew. <laughs> that is she funny. said she had expected to open the door to see, like, a family getting ready or something, or, you know, people about to leave the room, and there was just no one in the room whatsoever. Nope. A male spirit has been seen staring out the top tower window of the Flagler suite, and people believe that he's either Franklin Smith, who was the architect of the building, or Henry Flagler, who was the owner. Wow. Radios and alarm clocks turn on in empty rooms, and sinks turn on while staff are cleaning the rooms. What the fuck? As you're saying all these rooms, by the way, I'm looking at their pictures online and picturing it. It's very cool. <laughs> so a thing that I found really interesting about this on one of the websites that I had found information on, it said basically if you're going there to experience this stuff or to talk to the staff about it, there's a lot of people involved in the hotel like higher ups who don't want this associated with the hotel whatsoever or don't believe in it. So they're like, make sure if you're asking staff members, you're asking during a time of the day where the hotel's not busy or where you can kind of get them alone in a hallway because some of the staff will gladly tell you stories, but not if the wrong people are overhearing it. Right. It seems from their website that they want zero things to do with haunted things. <laughs> yeah, they do not want it associated with that at all. And some of the staff allegedly ha is even like reprimanded if higher ups hear them even talking about it to guests. Wow. But I think that's so interesting and so cool. And a lot of these staff have obviously had experiences and... I feel like a lot of the things that happen there aren't necessarily negative, but creepy. Right. And that's that. Very cool. The pictures are insane. Yeah, the place is crazy looking. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Very it cool. definitely is. Wow, I liked that so much. That was so good. I loved yours too. Thanks. We all <laughs> always connect somehow. Yeah, we do. We overla always overlap. And it's so insane that there's so many places we can choose from. And somehow we always have some kind of connection. It's fucking weird. We're with <laughs> It really is like a 10 minute walk. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. anything else before we end today's episode? I don't have anything else to add. All right. So let's get into our spiel. You can go to our Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post weekly photos and that we have reviewed. Also, the link tree in our bio has all of our listening platforms in case you're wondering where you can listen to the podcast. And then our Facebook is where we post our weekly photos from every episode as well as resources that we use in each case. So check that out. If you have a case suggestion or a listener story, you can DM us at Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram, or you can just chat with us there, or email us at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com. 
The best way to show you love our podcast, you can leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll give you a free sticker or stickers. And if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, on any listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. And that's that. We'll talk to you guys next week. Stay spooky. Spooky season's over, but it's never over, really. It's never over. It's never over, really. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook